For those of you I haven't had a chance to meet before, my name is Mike King, and as the senior pastor here at Suburban, I have the privilege of leading just a really wonderful group of volunteers and staff who make everything that we do at the church possible. And on behalf of all of them, we just want to say we're really grateful that you would choose to be here with us today. It is a choice, right? There's other things you can be doing on Sunday, and I know that for some of you, you're maybe exploring the claims of Christ for yourself, and the fact that you would choose to be with us in a significant worship service, like that, it means a lot that you would, would be here with us. Well, this morning, we're finishing up a teaching series where we're looking at the way that Jesus changed the world. And all throughout the series, we've been arguing that Jesus changed the world by changing people from the inside out, right? That the world is different than it was 2,000 years ago, in large part because for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have invited the power of his Holy Spirit to transform them from the inside out. So they become people who speak differently in the world around them, act differently, interact with people in different ways, and that really has changed the world. And we believe that God is still doing that today. Like he looks out and he sees the, the hurt and the brokenness in our world, and he invites us and empowers us to go and to make a difference in his power. And this morning, we're finishing up this series by, by looking in at the topic of singleness and being single as you follow Jesus. So to begin, I want to invite you to turn with me in the Bible to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, if it would help you for any reason, there's some red Bibles in those seats in front of you. You can grab one of those and turn to the page number on the screen so that you can track along. But as you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about why we're talking about this topic, especially because I know a number of us are married and we're like, okay, why are we talking about this? Um, well, you probably know this, but not just in this church, but in the church in general, there are a large percentage of people who are single. And over the years, the church has not always done a very good job of talking about what is unique about being single and following Jesus. A church usually has lots of resources for parents and families and things like that, but single followers of Jesus can easily feel overlooked. But it really is an important topic for all of us to talk about today. And one reason for that is that this generation of young adults will probably be single longer than any other generation in history. So you go back two years, it's the last year I could find the data for, but in 2021, that the national median age for somebody getting married for the first time, so how old most people were when they got married for the first time, was a little over 29 years old. In 1970, that was 21 years old. So people are staying single longer. And in fact, by the, the time today's generation of young adults reach their 50th birthday, one out of four of them will have been single their entire life. And if you think about just even what, what it means to be single at Suburban, like that, that's a pretty big tent, right? We have high school students who are single. We have adults of all ages who are single. We have adults of all ages who are single because they never married, and others because there's been divorce or because they have, uh, their spouse has died. So in all of those different types of singles, they experience some of the unique joys and the unique challenges that come with being single in different ways. But for many of them, it, it does bring up some questions. Right? Questions about where they fit in the church. Questions about what the future holds for them. Like, so for example, if you were here last Sunday, last Sunday we were talking about sexuality and God's design for sex. Well, Christian singles who are faithfully trying to follow Jesus have to figure out how to abstain from sex while realizing that they're also hardwired for that kind of connection with other people. Uh, other singles wonder, okay, what does it look like to be content in my singleness while at the same time still really, really wanting to get married if that happens? And as I was preparing for the sermon, I, I came upon a stunning insight about myself, which is that I've not been single for a long time. Um, like, I've been married for almost 25 years. We've got four kids. So just naturally, the way I see the world is through the lens of somebody who's been married for a long time and has four kids. So as part of the, the work to get ready for this, I, I pulled together a group of single friends here at Suburban just to have lunch, just to sit down and talk with them and be like, okay, what has is, what is your experience in the church been? Not just this church, but like the, the church in general. And we had such a great conversation. 
Like we talked about how sometimes single people in the church can feel like second-class citizens. It's like there's this idea that like once you get married and have kids, you graduate from the kids' table to like get it to be part of like the church for real. That's how people feel sometimes. Or they talked about how they'll get on social media, right? And they'll see their, their college friends, uh, their kids are having birthdays. And there, there's just some pain with that because they wonder, am I ever going to have a kid who has a birthday? Or maybe you're older and you see that some friends are having their 50th wedding anniversary. And you think, well, we're not going to have another anniversary because my spouse died. Uh, there's just a lot that goes along with that. And, and so often in our world, people who are single can feel incredibly lonely. And now, that is just let me be really clear. You can be married and still feel incredibly lonely as well. Like, that happens. But oftentimes, single, singleness and feeling lonely go together. It's not a surprise that the age when most people feel report that they feel lonely is between 16 and 24, which is also the age that has the highest incidence of being single. So there's a lot of reasons why I think the church needs to talk about singleness. And and the really good news with this is that the Bible talks about singleness. In fact, the Bible has what a pastor named John Tyson calls a theology of singleness. And we're going to talk about that today. And these ideas, I I think they're so important that all of us, right, whether we're single, married, wherever we are, we all need to hear this. Because there are some messages here that can help all of us as we are growing and following Jesus. So let's go ahead and jump into the the passage and see what it says. And, And here's kind of what's going on. So in this passage... Some, some, religious, some religious leaders come up to Jesus with a question. So back in the Old Testament, the laws that, that govern the Jewish people, there was a provision that God made for divorce, like men could divorce their wives. Well, there's some questions about, okay, well, what's, what counts as legitimate grounds for a divorce? And in the first century when Jesus was alive, there were, there were a lot of debates about this, and there were two very prominent schools of thought on this. So one school of thought basically said, anything, right? Any, any reason is a good reason. It literally, like, there's a scholar who said, if your wife burns your dinner, you can divorce her, right? Just get rid of her. Like, basically, you can divorce her for anything. And the other school of thought was like, no, 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 you can't do that. I mean, really, it's really just if there's sexual unfaithfulness in marriage, there's adultery. That's the only legitimate grounds for divorce. So there are these competing ideas, and Jesus is a, is a known religious teacher. So they come to him, and they're like, well, Jesus, what's your, what's your hot take on this? Where do you land on this issue? And Jesus, as he so often does, he, he sort of answers their question, but not really. And he answers their question by, by going back a couple of steps. And he's like, yeah, yeah, there's this law in the Old Testament that permits divorce. But let's talk about why that law is even there. He says, just so you know, divorce was never part of the equation for God. That, that was never his ideal. And in fact, he only has this law that says you can divorce. That's a concession that is made because as human beings, our hearts are just so stinking hard towards each other. So Jesus, realizing what the original intention was in this concession, he comes out with this, this very, very narrow reasoning. Really, it's only because of adultery that you should do this. So he, he lands on that side. But then, in a very Jesus move, uh, that, so he says this. He says, I tell you that anybody who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And this is the part that's great. Look at how his own disciples respond, like these 12 guys that are following. They hear Jesus say this, and they're like, Jesus! If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Like, I mean, if I can't get rid of this woman for any reason, like, maybe it's just better for me to single, right? You know? I don't know why that's my Jesus disciples voice, but they're, they're kind of acting like good old boys in this one. So anyway, so that says, yeah, and Jesus replies, it's such a Jesus move. He replies with this very strange saying that actually talks about singleness. So they're like, maybe we shouldn't even get married. And Jesus says, well, not everybody can accept this word. Only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and then there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. 
So is that crystal clear to everybody? I mean, we're all up on Unix. I mean, yeah, this is one of those things you read it and you're like, what on earth does Unix have to do with us in the 21st century? Like, it's just not, it's not part of our world. Um, but it was a much more part of Jesus's world. Like, there were a lot of people who were eunuchs in the first century. And he acknowledges that, right? So he says there are some people, right, who are born eunuchs, probably referring to this, this small minority of people. They're just born without the ability to have kids. But a much larger group in Jesus' day and age were people who were forcibly made eunuchs by others. So these are people captured in war, people who were slaves that were physically castrated by their owners. The idea is that then they're, they're, they're better able to serve in positions, you know, maybe in the house with women or with kids. They're, they're less of a threat that way if you can do that. So it's this, this recognized class of people. And in the first century, because eunuchs couldn't have kids, almost all of them were single. So Jesus says, some people are born that way, a whole bunch of folks get made that way by others. And then he says, there are some people who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of God's kingdom. In other words, there are people who probably never marry and never have children, and they do that in order to serve in God's kingdom. They're similar to eunuchs in the sense that they don't have kids, they don't have families, and everything that goes along with that. And Jesus says, they've got a place, and they can actually be fruitful and serve in the kingdom. And again, to us, the fact that he brings up, this all just seems a little weird to us, because we don't talk about eunuchs much. But you got to have to understand, this, this was a really revolutionary teaching in Jesus' day. It was so countercultural. Because think about the world that Jesus lived in. So Jesus lived in the Jewish state when it was controlled by the Roman Empire. In the Roman culture at that time, the entire culture is built around the pater familia, right? The male head of the household. You have no social worth or status in the Roman Empire until you are a father, you're married, you're running your own household. That's where you got social value. And even think about the, the fact that Jesus was Jewish, right? Jesus was a Jewish man, and the Jewish culture at that time, think back to the Old Testament, right? In the Old Testament, God had called the people of Israel, and he promised to bless them. And those blessings involved giving them a land to live in and making them a great nation, right? To be a great nation, you got to have a lot of kids, right? The very first command uh, that, that God gave uh, the people in, in Genesis, right, is to be fruitful and multiply. So there's this understanding in Jesus's day and age that having a lot of kids, that's a sign of, of God's blessing being on you, right? You see that in the Psalms. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him, Right, so this idea that if you've got kids, if you're married, you've got a bunch of kids, it just shows how much God is blessing you. So being married, having kids is kind of held up as the ideal, and not doing that is actively shunned. So there are other Old Testament laws that say if you are a eunuch, for example, you can't go into the temple. You can't go into the tabernacle. You can't be part of God's you know, people who are going to worship him. They're excluded from that. So in Jesus' day and age, there just wasn't a place for single people without children. They were the exception, not the norm, and they were very often looked down upon, which is what makes what Jesus is saying here so remarkable. Right? He's saying, no, no, there, there's a place for you now in the kingdom. There, there's a place for you now. You matter. And, and I wonder when he brings up this idea of eunuchs. Again, it seems weird to us, but you have to remember Jesus' mind was just completely saturated by the Old Testament. Like He'd probably quote the whole thing, so he grew up learning these stories. And I wonder if in his mind, if one of the reasons he doesn't bring up this idea of eunuchs is because he's going back in his mind to a passage in Isaiah. And there's this passage in Isaiah that, that's painting a picture of what God is going to do one day in the future when he brings heaven and earth back together again, what, God, what Jesus is doing in the kingdom. And look at what it says, because it brings up eunuchs. It says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple, right? You're not excluded anymore. And its walls, a memorial and a name that is better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. 
Right? That's what Jesus is saying. It's just a very different picture than what you see in the Jewish world at the time or in the Roman society around them. Here, somebody can lack a physical family but still be complete, still be completely accepted, and still actually be productive and bear fruit. Like when Jesus pivots that conversation from divorce to eunuchs, he's really making an announcement. Right? He's saying that he is changing the nature of what it means to be single in the world. Right? If you are single, there is a place for you in the kingdom just as you are. You not only belong, but you can have a huge impact as you serve. And, and that's what I meant when I was saying that the Bible has this theology of singleness. I mean, think about the life of Jesus. Jesus was single, like never got married, didn't have kids. And we believe that he is the most amazing example of what it looks like to live a full and free life. But he chose not to get married. And in spite of that, he still lived a life of purpose, and his life was full of joy, and it mattered, and it made a difference. Jesus enjoyed rich friendships with other people. He enjoyed this this deep, transformative relationship with God. Right? In Christianity, single people are not second-class citizens, which is different than what some other world religions teach. Right? In some other faiths, your, your status in eternity is really based on your marital status. Right? You get better rewards in the afterlife if you're married, if you have kids, but Jesus never says anything like that. So when it comes to, to following Jesus as a single person, there's a lot of things that we can talk about, but can't cover it all in one sermon. So what I want to do in the rest of the time today is just throw out a few ideas that came out, you know, of my study in scripture, but also were highlighted in that lunch conversation that I had. So I want you to consider these as uh, starting points for maybe further reflection in your own life or further conversation in your own life. But the first thing that I want to make sure that we all hear today is this. Single people matter in the church. Right? Single people matter to God. They matter for the same reason that married people matter and that children matter and that the disabled matter. They matter because they are deeply loved by God. Ultimately, what matters most for all of us is that we root our identity in the truth of whose we are, not in who we are. Right? The foundation of our identity is that we were created in the image of God and we are deeply, deeply loved by him. That's true every moment of our life, every season, no matter what changes around us. That's what I mean by, by knowing whose we are. We matter and we belong because we matter and we belong to God and he's invited us to be a part of his family. And that's the whose we are, right? Who we are changes all throughout our life. Again, as, as part of preparing for the sermon, I reached out to a number of people at Suburban who are, are therapists and counselors and work in that world. I'm like, what insight do you have on this? And one of the things that one of them told me is that we, we need to remember that all human relationships are temporary, like even marriage, right? Today's married man is tomorrow's widower. Uh, today's stay-at-home mom is tomorrow's empty nester, right? Everything changes as we go through seasons of life. And one of the things that's challenging about this is what that says about identity, because we probably all know some people who are, are they're so wrapped up in a relationship or their relationship status, whether that's their marriage or whatever. It's like they don't know how to define themselves apart from that relationship. They only exist because of who they are in that relationship, right? Which ultimately isn't a healthy thing. We need to remember whose we are. And the human relationships that define us, they're so important, but they cannot be the primary source of our identity. It's just not strong enough to get us through life. The primary thing that we need to remember is that we are loved and accepted by God. And one of my favorite examples of all of this in the Bible is uh, the Apostle John. Right, so James and John, they were these two brothers that were some of Jesus' first followers. And apparently they were a pretty rowdy pair. 
right? Because Jesus gave them a nickname, right? He called them the sons of thunder. They were always shooting their mouth off and doing stuff like that. And I imagine, maybe this is just me, I imagine John, you know, as like a, like a 19-year-old guy, and Jesus says, you're the son of thunder. And he was probably like, I like that. You know, I can get that. I, I picture John walking around, and you know that ACDC song, Thunderstruck? Na, 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 thunder. Like, that's what he's saying. Is he's walking in the room and doing all this stuff. And that's who he was when Jesus met him. But the time that he spends with Jesus, he, goes, he undergoes this incredible transformation in his life and his identity. So near the end of his life, he actually wrote a biography of Jesus. We have it in the New Testament. It's the Gospel of John. And when he does that, he never mentions himself by name in the Gospel of John. Instead, he just signs it off. He says, I am the disciple who Jesus loved. And I don't think he's bragging when he says that. He's not just like, I'm the disciple Jesus. No, I, I think it's really probably just a reminder to himself and to others about this fundamental change in his identity that has taken place because of his relationship with God. I'm not a son of thunder anymore. I am a disciple who Jesus loves. And that is so important for all of us to remember. But I think that can be especially important for single people to hear today. Because our world and the church sometimes unintentionally holds up this message that marriage is the ideal that everybody should strive for. And if you aren't married, you aren't valuable. And that simply is not true. Again, Jesus was single. Your value does not depend on whether or not you got a ring on your finger. Your value comes from whose you are. The fact that you are loved by God. And I really think that God wants all of us to have our identity transformed so profoundly like that, that if we ever got to the end of our life and we were writing a biography, we wouldn't sign it with our name either. We would sign it as, I am the disciple who Jesus loved, because that is just informs everything that we do. So that's the, the first big idea that I want to get across, right? Single people matter to God, and they matter in the church just as much as married people do. The second thing to point out is that single people often do have time and margin and energy to invest in God's kingdom work, in ways that married people don't have or that parents don't have. Paul is actually getting at this idea in one of his letters when he writes this. He says, I he's writing to unmarried people. And he says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. His, his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. It says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Right? People who are married or who have par are parents, they just have more and different demands on their time than single people do. That's not a good thing or a bad thing. That's just a thing thing. It's just how it is. And if God calls us at some point to be married and have kids, then absolutely part of what he's calling us to do is to take the best of our time and energy and invest them in those relationships. That is a kingdom investment. But if you're in a season of life where God hasn't called you to be married, then you've got some opportunities that married people don't have. And again, I was talking with one of those single people at lunch this week, and they went back to that idea in Genesis 1, that idea of this command to be fruitful and multiply. And she said, look, just because I'm not married doesn't mean I can't do that. It just looks different for me. I can be fruitful by investing in all kinds of relationships because I've got time to devote to that. I can multiply by sharing the gospel with other people and helping disciples grow. And again, it's important to note that in the New Testament, there is not a command that says everybody's got to get married and have kids. Instead, what we're commanded to do in the New Testament is to come together as a new family. 
where we care for each other, where we welcome each other, and where we welcome in new spiritual children. And Paul is just arguing the single people have a bandwidth to invest in that kind of kingdom work that other people may not have because of the stage of life that they're in. So, a word to those of you who are out there today and who are single. So if the percentages bear out, many of you are going to get married at some point in your life. And what I want to encourage you to do is to ask God to give you a vision for what he wants to do with this stage of life right now when you're single. Like imagine a day in the future, and maybe you're married, and you look back. How do you want to remember this time? What will you want to look back and say, that's what I was investing my time in. Here's how I was pursuing God and knowing him more and having my identity deeply formed in him. Here are the kinds of things he called and invested me to do with my time and my energy. I just want to challenge you to invite God to give you a vision for what he wants to do in and through you right now. I mean, the church needs you to do that. I can guarantee you that the hurting and broken world around us needs you to do that. I I guess I just want to encourage you, if you're single, to not just see this time as a waiting game. You can't put your life on hold until God brings Mr. or Mrs. Wright down the pike because he may not do that. For you, singleness might not be a stage of life. It might be your life. And that may be what you want, or it may not be what you want. But what I would encourage you to think about is this. If God is good, and we believe that he is, then being single can be good for you, whether that's for a season or for life. And this is true for all of us, right? Whether we're single or married, all of us are called to stop and think, okay, God, what are you, in, what are you calling me to do right now in the season I'm in? And again, I love the way that one of the folks at lunch put this. They said, look, if God ever works it out so that I get married, I don't see that as a promotion, right? Like I'm going from singleness to being married. So it's really more like a lateral move in the organization, right? It's not like my status goes up or down. I'm just called to do something different. I'm called to serve and invest differently. And, and, and that's something that all of us, right, married or single, we can take that away from today. God is calling every single one of us, wherever we are in our stage of life, to say, what have you got for me now? Like, what are you calling and inviting me to do in the stage of life that I'm in right now? And the, the pros and cons that come with my stage of life, what does this look like? So that's what we're all called to do. Um, but I do want to mention one last thing that I think the church needs to keep in mind as we, especially as married people, as we walk alongside our single brothers and sisters, and that has to do with sex. So we talked last week, there's a lot more to sex than just the physical act, right? It's really about a physical and spiritual and emotional connection with another person, a whole person at every level. And single people, they've got needs for connection like that, and, and they can meet many of those needs for connection without sexual intercourse. Again, think about Jesus. Jesus never had sex with anybody, but he experienced real intimacy and friendship. He experienced connection and vulnerability with others. He loved others and received love for them. Jesus gave people hugs, and he received physical touch and affection. One of the things his life shows us is that our sexuality, our our need to connect with other people, that is central to who we are. That is essential to life. But sexual intercourse is not. But... That is not the message that our single brothers and sisters here in the world out there. Because pretty much every movie, TV show, advertisement that is made these days is basically saying that celibacy is a fate worse than death. And for those of us who are married, what we need to know is that our Christian brothers and sisters who are trying to live according to God's design experience the world as a war zone. And choosing to live in sexual purity today, that is countercultural. And so many messages say in our, in our world say you can't do it and you shouldn't do it. So we should encourage our single brothers and sisters and, and honor them as they pursue this. And to the single people who are here today, I just want to say I, I see you. Right? There are unique challenges to being single. 
there absolutely is an aspect to life, this physical sexual activity that you don't experience, and there's real loss involved in that. That's hard. And we realize there's just not an easy solution to this today. But as a church, we do feel like we're called to offer whatever support we can. There's a wonderful theologian, a lady named Marvadon, who says that she's convinced that if the church could provide more thorough affection and care for people, then they would be less likely to buy into the world's lies that they need sex to be complete and to be fulfilled. So typically at Suburban, we try to offer that support through connecting with a small group or a Bible study where you can share the details of your life with others who can listen and encourage and walk with you through the challenge. So if that's something that you need, something you'd like to know more about, we have some email addresses at the bottom of the bulletin that you can write about. And please, I also want you to know that single people who are here, you're absolutely invited to speak into what we do as a church and how we lead. Again, I haven't been single for 25 years, so when I think about leadership decisions in the church, I don't have any choice but to think through the lens of somebody who is married, and a lot of our leaders are like that. So if the church is not serving you, if there are things that we can better do, would you please let us know that? Because we're not trying to intentionally leave you out. It's just not going to occur to us otherwise, because that's not the lens that we look through the world at. So here's something I want to try to leave you with, okay? So Psalm 68 has a wonderful verse in it. It says, God sets the lonely in families. Ultimately, that's what God invites us to do. God invites us to be family to each other. And that involves opening up spaces inside the church for married people and single people to connect and to lead and to serve and to belong. It means finding a way to be a system of support for for everyone, helping them truly follow Jesus wherever they may find themselves in life. And it is as we do that that we can actually be family to each other. So here's what I want to do. In just a moment, we're going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to sing a final song together. But like I said, the the goal today was not to answer all the questions, but was just to tee up some ideas for you to think about and reflect on and see, okay, what's God calling you to do with in this in your life today? So we're just going to pray that he gives us the wisdom and the time and the strength to do that. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together uh, to your word. The Bible is so wonderful and crazy and weird, I'm never going to get over it. Uh, it Just you look at these passages written 2,000 years ago about eunuchs, and you're like, what on earth does this have to do to me today? And yet, God, you, you speak truth into our life through these things, and you help us know you and your heart. So God, there's a lot of people in this room today, and we're in a lot of different places in life, and I don't know all of them, and I don't know how they're hearing this or where they are, but you do. So right now, we want to invite you to come and do what only you can do, that you would speak to each individual human heart and mind and soul and spirit that are here, and just help them know what they're doing to, to, to respond to the truth that we've seen today. What are you inviting us to do? God, would you give us the wisdom to see what you're calling us to do, and then would you give us the strength and the courage to trust you as we step into that and live it out this week?